This is the Pearls and Swine podcast, giving hope and healing to those who are under toxic leadership, whether that's in the home or in the workplace. Well, it's a new year where I live. There's a boatload of snow that is falling and and it's very beautiful and very white. And I'm going to share with you some thoughts on repentance today, and in particular, in relationship to restitution. We don't really think too much about restitution nowadays. We don't use that word a whole lot, but uh, it's a very important biblical term, uh, understanding how it can be applied in the cases of abuse is really what this this blog, uh, this podcast is trying to discover and figure out. And so <clears throat> let me share with you uh, a blog called Repentance and Restitution, Giving Feet to Confession. The pastor sent an apology to Jack. The letter was less than a page long and included a very general confession of sin. At first, Jack was encouraged by the words from his former boss, but as he considered what repentance should look like from an abusive authority, he began to question the wisdom of reconciling with the pastor on the basis of the pastor's apparent repentance. This is the experience of victim after victim of leadership abuse. Apologies that give hope, but in time proved to be false acts of contrition. So what is repentance? Biblical repentance is difficult to understand. The word is used freely as though everyone gets it. But identifying an actually, act, the actual repentant heart is not easy. Because repentance affects how we respond to the apology of a fellow believer, its identification is important. Repentance means reconciliation may take place. Repentance means a position relinquished because of sin may be regained. We need to be able to distinguish repentance from other forms of people-pleasing responses. True repentance is a matter of the heart. The actions of the repentant flow from his entire being turning from sin. And this is the difficulty. We can't know another man's heart. However, in the Old Testament, there are some helpful guidelines to recognizing and receiving repentance. There are a couple of words that are at times translated as repent or humble oneself. The word naam means to breathe strongly, to be sorry, to pity, console, or rue, or repent. Another word, sub, means to turn back, hence away. In either case, the idea is that the sinner has given up the sin. And it is not just an action, but the heart. Note, the terminology breathes strongly. There is the sense that the rejection of sin goes way down deep into the inner man. Breathe. What I've read about this Hebrew term gives the impression of deep sadness, inner change over what the sinner has done. Where we run into difficulty here is in defining and identifying repentance when there is a return 
to the old sin? Is it repentance if we do the same sin again later? I know of two repentant abusers who have made significant progress in overcoming their entitlement and control over their wives. However, they do continue to go back to the old ways at times. The difference is that they easily identify it in themselves quickly and seek to confess and turn from it. Their wives no longer consider them abusive. So we have to understand repentance in cases of abuse in like manner to our own various sins. It is why there is the old adage, we must repent of our repentance. We will at times go back to the trough of gruel. Our inner man never fully gives up on its idolatry until Jesus comes again. But our recognition of the sin and deep sorrow over it has made significant progress. Again, we do not know if someone else is truly, deeply sorrowful over their sin. Their words may just be further manipulation of which many abusers are adept. Under the section heading of Confession and Restitution, in the English Standard Version, Moses is given guidelines for determining repentance in Numbers 5, verses 5 through 7. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed. And he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. This passage does not mention the word repentance, but I understand it to express the evidence of a repentant heart. First of all, the sinner confesses his sin. He understands that he has done wrong. He identifies that he has broken faith with the Lord. The Hebrew says that he has acted treacherously. What he has done is really evil, and he confesses it. He doesn't cover it over in any way. I would suggest this means he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame it on someone else, even a little. He truly owns up to the specific sin. In cases of abuse, he doesn't suggest others made him do it or it was a small thing. Then he makes full restitution for his wrong. Restitution is an important part of the Old Testament law. Just saying you are sorry doesn't cut it when it comes to repentance. If there is to be reconciliation, restitution is imperative. The difficulty with restitution is the application of it when it comes to relational sins like abuse. And as we are not a theocracy, we do not normally apply the Old Testament civil law directly to our setting. However, much of the law can be applied within the church in a principled way, keeping in mind we must not create a list of pharisaical laws based on principles we find in the law. It is certainly appropriate that we expect a leader in the home or workplace to not only apologize for their specific sins of abuse, but seek some form of restitution. I would suggest 
This gives evidence of real repentance. So what does restitution look like? <clears throat> what might that look like? Though we, I have written of the look of repentance in other places in my blog, I would like to explore restitution here. Note that restitution was normally full payment for what was stolen or destroyed, plus an additional punitive amount. Sometimes that additional amount was a fifth of the cost of replacement, like in Numbers 5-7 that I read earlier. The amount of restitution was in part based on whether the loss was intentional, accidental, or criminal. In essence, the greater the evil in the heart, the greater the restitution. Accidents are not evil, so that additional amount is less. Stealing was particularly evil, and so in Exodus 22.1, the thief is to pay five times the number of oxen he has stolen. And that's a stiff penalty. What if we try to apply the principles of restitution to cases of abusive leadership? What would be required of the repentant leader? Abuse is a great evil. It's an intentional evil. And so I would think that the restitution would be greater, whatever it may be. So I have a little list here of just possibilities. Payment for necessary counseling for victims. Number two, providing a safe place for the victim. Maybe a new position in the organization that's not under an abuse of authority. Number three, allowing the victim without interruption or critique to share in a public setting the evils perpetrated by the abuser. Number four, give up any authority formerly held by the abuser. And the last one I have here, payment for lost wages plus additional punitive amount due to trauma in the workplace caused by the leader. <clears throat> now, these, these are not biblical commands. These are not found specifically in Scripture. These are only ideas. If you have other ideas, I would love to hear from you if you'd share in the comment section of my blog. Restitution is a means of giving feet to confession. It can be evidence of a truly repentant heart. It can say to the victim of your sin, I was horribly wrong, and I must do all I can to make up for it. Though forgiveness, <clears throat> which is another topic altogether, may be given even when repentance is not in evidence, reconciliation is unlikely to happen without it and should not be expected until true repentance is apparent to the victim. This means that restitution may be the evidence that is needed. Thank you for listening to the Pearls and Swine podcast. We seek to bring hope and healing to those under toxic leadership, whether in the home, the church, or the workplace. If you find our podcasts and blogs helpful, consider giving to the costs of production. My name is Kelly Daynert, and I produce the podcast. The music you heard is called Finally, a song I wrote a number of years ago. 
It is performed by Mingoi, an African ensemble from Malawi. <laughs> 